Hi, and welcome to our fourth Universalist service video. My name is Amber Kelly, and I'm the Director of Religious Education here at the Fourth Universalist Society. I use she and her pronouns, and thank you so much for joining us today. What follows are selections from our service on February 20th, 2022. In this video, you'll hear from the reading and the reflection, and following that, we hope you'll join us for a lively discussion where we go deeper into the service theme together. You're invited to check out our video and our audio podcast each week. We post it on our website, our Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, as well as your favorite podcast streaming sites. If you like what you see, we hope you'll give us a positive review. Those likes, the comments, the sharing, subscribing, this helps us to spread Fourth Universalist media further. Finally, we acknowledge that our community is located on the land of the Munsei Lenape peoples. This acknowledgement helps us to continue the process of working to dismantle ongoing legacies of oppression. We invite you to join us in this work as we work to embrace the APU principle. Thank you again for watching. We begin with our reading. This morning is titled Make Not a Bond of Love by 20th century Lebanese American poet and artist Khalil Gibran, published in 1923 in his masterpiece The Prophet. Love one another, but make not a bond of love. Let it rather be a moving sea between the shores of your souls. Fill each other's cup, but drink not from one cup. Give one another of your bread, but eat not from the same loaf. Sing and dance together and be joyous, but let not each but let each of you be alone, even as the strings of a lute are alone, though they quiver with the same music. Give your hearts, but not into each other's keeping, for only the hand of life can contain your hearts and stand together, yet not too near together. For the pillars of the temple stand apart, and the oak tree and the cypress grow not in each other's shadow. But let there be spaces in your togetherness, and let the winds of the heavens dance between you. Love one another, but make not a bond of love. Here ends our morning's reading. Last week, couples around the country and around the world shared gifts to display their affection for one another. School children exchanged cards with one another. Couples bought roses, chocolate, balloons, perfumes, and stuffed animals for one another. Restaurants and hotels earned a lot of revenue, and some couples got engaged to be married. The colors red and pink were displayed everywhere. St. Valentine's Day has a universal appeal to people. It's celebrated by the young and old, couples who are just getting to know one another and couples who have been together for decades, couples who are married or not, and couples of any gender configuration. 
It's not surprising to me that Valentine's Day has such a wide appeal to so many people because it's a celebration of love and love is a human value which everyone can identify with. Children experience love within their families. Romantically involved couples are drawn to one another by love. And in our wider society, we show love to our neighbors and even strangers by treating one another with respect and kindness. Love even has a biological component. People who are in love have an increase of certain euphoric hormones, which make people feel better. Hormones like oxytocin, dopamine, adrenaline, and endorphins. What's interesting to me about love is the myriad forms that it can take. In a sermon I preached a few months ago, I spoke about how in our language, there is only one word for love, whereas other languages have many more terms, including ancient Greek, which had eight words for love. These words were used to describe the love of deep friendship, the love of sexual passion, playful love, charitable love, long-standing love, self-love, love for one's family members, and obsessive love. What I'm interested to look at today is the way that some committed couples are redefining their relationships by basing it on deep friendship rather than sexual attraction. A few months ago, the journalist Danielle Braff wrote an article about a newly emerging concept called platonic spouses. In these types of relationships, the couple are advancing their platonic friendship to the next level by getting legally married to one another without the benefit or distraction of sexual attraction. These couples are in many ways similar to any other married couple in that they promise to be loyal to one another and to love and support one another through good times and bad times, in health and in sickness, in times of prosperity and in lean times. One couple who was interviewed named Jay and Crystal are two women in their 20s who've been friends for a decade who got married to each other in the fall of 2020 on Long Island, and who in many ways had a very traditional ceremony. They both wore wedding gowns, walked down the aisle together, exchanged rings, agreed to share the same last name, and even shared a kiss, though it was their first and only kiss of their relationship. Jay and Crystal are best friends, and while they both happen to be lesbians, and both share the same bed at night, they aren't romantically involved with one another. And either one is free to be involved romantically with anyone else if they wish. Regarding their relationship, Jay said, I want Crystal to continue to be my best friend and my life partner. We wanted the world to know we are each other's go-to person in the world and to be able to handle legal matters with the other appropriately. We are a couple, a unit, and partners for life. Another person who was interviewed was a woman named Kim, who is in her early 40s, is bisexual, and who has a low libido. While she was unemployed, she met a man on a dating website who also uh, does not have a libido, 
and after a meeting, they quickly became close friends. After getting to know each other for five years, they decided to get married as platonic best friends. Kim said, our daily life is that of best friends. We talk and laugh a lot, watch movies, but there is almost no physical element in it. Sometimes we hug or give massages to each other, and every night we have our goodnight kiss, but we have separate bedrooms. We are the most important people in each other's lives. Yet another couple who was interviewed are Kema and Danae. Both women identify as pansexual, are in their 30s, live in the Midwest, and each one has two children from previous relationships. They had been close friends with one another for seven years before they decided to become a family on their own as married platonic best friends. Neither has been physically intimate with the other and each is free to pursue dating relationships with others. They knew this was the right decision for them because they wanted to raise their children together and to be able to make major life decisions together as a family unit. And to that end, they have also opened a joint bank account, purchased a home, and their respective children treat one another like siblings. Danae, who is a disabled veteran of the Navy said, we're committed to investing in one another so we can both be successful. And ultimately we love each other so much. In every way that you'd look at a husband or a marriage in terms of interpersonal connections and intimacy, it's there. Finally, yet another couple who was interviewed was Ashley and Julep, two women in their 20s who live in the South. Each one has been best friends with the other since the sixth grade. The couple are buying a house together, making financial decisions together, taking care of two pet dogs, and have gone across the country together twice. Julep mentioned that she suffers from social anxiety disorder, which makes getting to know others difficult, and she isn't particularly interested in romance. She said that her emotional needs are met by her best friend, and she can't imagine her life without her best friend. She said, meeting people is hard. Getting a bond and romantic feelings is hard. And more and more young people are starting to realize that there are other benefits to marriage other than romantic love. I mean, isn't the point to marry your best friend? So why can't it be your literal best friend? Julep raises an interesting question. For her, getting married means getting to be with your best friend forever and ever. What's interesting about it though, is that in our modern era, two people who love one another in whatever capacity don't actually need to get a marriage license from the city clerk in order to prove that they love one another. And any children which would result from their unlicensed union would not encounter any legal impediments to success later in life. It's also interesting to note that marrying someone for love, which seems like an obvious reason to get married today, is actually a rather recent development in the evolution of the institution of marriage. Historically, marriage was a way of organizing society to ensure the economic success of families something which is still a part of modern day marriage since the government incentivizes marriage 
by granting married couples special tax breaks. Nevertheless, as edgy or unique as platonic marriages might seem, there's also some surprising historical precedent for them. The term platonic love wasn't invented by Plato, but rather by the 15th century Italian scholar, Marsilio Ficino, who was the first person to translate Plato's works from the ancient Greek. Ficino published a book a few years before he died, which contained platonic love letters he wrote in Latin to his peer and lifelong friend, Giovanni Cavalcanti. And it was because of this book that the concept of platonic love was popularized in Western Europe. The Roman Catholic Church would later take this idea one step further and institutionalize the concept of a platonic marriage by calling them a Josephite marriage, named after St. Joseph, who according to Catholic doctrine was married to the Virgin Mary, but who never consummated the marriage. In these types of marriages, the couple freely chooses to practice abstinence as a form of piety, as opposed to out of necessity because of, say, sexual dysfunction or one person's distaste for the other. While platonic marriages seem innocuous, there are also critics of the concept. Some wonder how accepting extended families and in-laws would be of such unions. Others wonder how tolerant a platonic spouse would actually be if one's other half is spending lots of his or her free time with a romantic partner outside of the home. Others wonder if marriage between close relatives should be permitted if sex is no longer a central component of marriage. Some say that marriage as we know it and have always known it was never designed to be platonic. And so a platonic marriage challenges not only social expectations, but also the legal understanding of marriage, especially since a judge could consider a platonic marriage to be a form of fraud or to be the grounds of an annulment. While the government does not actively take a census on married people's sex lives, it's also true that the state does have some interest in the topic. For example, you may have heard of the concept of a white marriage, which is a marriage without physical consummation. In these types of marriage of convenience, one person will marry another to provide some kind of advantage to the other, like giving the other person a visa or citizenship. Immigration authorities are very inquisitive in interviews with couples who achieve citizenship through marriage, especially if there seems to be any possibility of misrepresentation or inauthenticity. When all is said and done, while the institution of marriage has existed in some form for at least 4,000 years, and while it has evolved over the centuries, and while the standard agreed upon definition of marriage remains, the relationship that exists between two people who are united as spouses, the truth is that the specific details and features of each marriage is unique, just like the specific characteristics of each friendship are unique. Can two people who consensually agree to never share an erotic connection be considered dutifully married? Can two people who don't want to share a household together 
be considered rightfully married? Can two people who use the institution of marriage to achieve economic or legal goals be considered properly married? And in terms of friendship, can two people who have a big age gap realistically be friends? Can men and women truly be platonic friends with one another? Can married heterosexual spouses have authentic friendships with the opposite sex? Do friends have to stay in regular contact in order to still be considered friends? Or is there an expiration to friendship? There are more questions than answers. And the truth is that in our social circles, neighborhoods and congregation, we will meet many people who have a diverse range of life experiences and who experience and express their love, friendship and commitment to others in ways that are different from our own. For that reason, we should remember the words we heard from the poet and prophet this morning, who wrote that when it comes to love, desire, and intimacy, we must remember that whoever we share our hearts with, that it is in the hand of life itself that truly contains all of our hearts. Thank you. Reverend Mark, it's so good to get to sit down with you once again. Absolutely, thanks for inviting me. You know, and it, it seems appropriate to think once again about love. I, I'm enjoying the, the bookends on love surrounding Valentine's Day with our uh, last week's message and this week's message. You, you can never have too much love. <laughs> I was a little worried that because last week's uh, sermon and this week's sermon are on similar topics that maybe people might get bored with the topic or it might be redundant, but you know, there's never enough to say about this topic. I mean, hopefully people realize that they were, you know, going drastically different directions and thinking about love, but I really enjoyed, I, I didn't know, um, you know, I think, I think I said it when I, when I sent you the, the, hey, what should I think about for a time for all ages request? And because I, I wasn't quite sure what direction yours was headed from the, from the summary. So uh, I really love the, the actual final product. I, I thought it was a really um, moving consideration about friendship and about how we care for each other and all, all of the above. It was, so thanks for it. I appreciate it. You're welcome. So um, obviously Valentine's Day may have been a bit of inspiration. Was there any other, you know, kind of like lightning bolt moments that, uh, that led you to, to go with this message? Well, you know, the, the big thing was uh, the calendar so that that was a prime consideration. Um, but a second consideration was that, um, and this is a bit of history. I thought about maybe acknowledging this in the sermon, but I said not to, but I'll do it now uh, here in this portion of, of the service, which is that um, a couple years ago, I don't remember exactly what year, I want to say maybe around 2018 or thereabouts, um, I, I preached a sermon at Fourth U about the topic of ethical non-monogamy. Um, and I think that was the first time maybe that topic had been uh, discussed from the pulpit at Fourth U. Um, it was kind of a you know edgy topic, and uh, but it was well received. And um, I'd like to think it was illuminating for people who attended to, you know, I wasn't taking a point of view, like this is what you should believe, or this is like the right way to do relationships or not, but just to open up, a, you know, as, as I think a lot of sermons in UU settings are, it's just about provoking thought and helping people to figure out what do you believe? Um, and so I really appreciated that, um, how open the congregation was to 
listening to a sermon on that topic. And so in a way, this sermon on this topic is maybe a, a kind of a part two, uh, not because they're intrinsically linked, but, um, or like a part two of, of you know, like a series or anything, but um, I appreciate how open our congregation is to, you know, thinking kind of uh, in different directions about certain topics and uh, appreciate uh, the willingness of people to, you know, kind of give us who are in the pulpit, digital or otherwise, uh, the freedom to maybe just think outside the box a little bit. Um, and so that's that's some of where that inspiration came from. Yeah, well then, so another inspiration and one of the sources you drew from was this this article. And interestingly, I feel like I, um, I, I saw a lot of discussion around that like the last few weeks. I feel like, um, I don't know, I don't know that you're much of a TikToker, but I feel like I even saw some, some mention of like this uh, platonic marriages on, on TikTok. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't, you know, follow necessarily too many trends on TikTok, but I, I could imagine um, that it would be, a, you know, a hot topic or something that's trending. Um, it's, but, you know, it's interesting too, because in some ways, like, you know, the, the word is kind of new, or the term is new, but, you know, as I talked about in my sermon, there's, you know, kind of a long history of, of these things. And I didn't get too much in the history, actually, but there's actually kind of a lot of famous couples um, throughout history that kind of organized their lives um, in this particular way. It, you know, looked a little different because, you know, different centuries, different continents, but, um, but it's technically not necessarily a new thing. It's just, um, one of many, many variations on an, on an old subject, which is how do two people uh, who share a life together, how do they organize their lives? Well, I, I appreciate you connecting it with uh, non-monogamy, polyamory, whatever, whatever name we want to use, um, because you know I think that, that we see a little bit of a growing realization that you know, even for um, cisgendered heterosexual people that that families don't always take the the white picket fence variation. That uh, that you know whether it's like parents that are separated, whether it's um, polyamory, whether you, there's so many there's so many different varieties that that family can come into. And I think that uh, especially in the in the queer community, there's the idea of chosen family and the way that friends can really become family. I mean, I I know I've definitely experienced that a lot of my life of having friends that effectively became family to me. And that's a beautiful thing, you know, and that's, um, again, I think, you know, that's kind of always been there, but to be able to, um, you know, highlight it, amplify it, name it, celebrate it, uh, you know, visualize it in, in, you know, media, whether movies or stories, uh, those are all, you know, those are new aspects to this, but it, it's worth, like I said, talking about and thinking about. Uh, it feels a little bit like a, a kid's TV show, The Power of Friendship. Um, yes. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think My Little Pony, the subtitle is Friendship is Magic, but don't, we Indeed. won't tell the world that I, that I know the subtitle of the My Little Pony series. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think that, that it's so important for us to begin to acknowledge, uh, you know, all of these, these different ways of living. And, you know, you named it there as uh, the different ways that two people in a relationship, whether that's a friendship, there's business relationships, they have a specific way of structuring themselves. You know, we we have all of these ways of, of structuring relationships, but oftentimes the only one we that we actually call a relationship is some sort of romantic relationship. Um, so we often limit ourselves in thinking about how expansive love and community can really be. 
Absolutely. Isn't that interesting that if someone says, I'm in a relationship with, and then the other person's name, uh, we just assume uh, that it's a romantic relationship, a sexual relationship. Um, but technically, you know, there's all kinds of relationships, dating relationships, married relationships, friendly relationships, neighborly relationships, business relationships, collegial relationships. Uh, you know, anytime two people are relating, that's a relationship. Uh, but yeah, we, you know, it does have a certain connotation to it. Yeah, I'm going to start planning to uh, go, you know, especially like once we're back in person, I'll be like, hey, I'm in a friendship with this, uh, with this person. <laughs> We're, we're, we're officially declaring our friendship publicly. Yes, um, yes, exactly, exactly. I, I remember how big of a deal it used to be to, uh, to change your relationship status on Facebook. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> so what if we had in friendships with, uh, <laughs> we can, we can yes. add that as an extra tab. Um, <laughs> that that I, would create uh, so much awareness and I imagine so much chaos and mental distress on people <laughs> as they change friendship statuses. <laughs> For any of the younger folks that might be watching, uh, it brings me back to the top eight on MySpace where you had to choose uh, which, which friends were your top eight. And it was you know, a very uh, tenuous thing to have to choose your, your best friends out of your list. Yeah, a lot of pressure, a lot of hurt feelings. And you know, I think that it's just so vital for um, acknowledging this love, this care that we have for each other is part of community. I think about as we return to in person in the next few weeks that you know a lot of the decisions that we made about what that's going to look like we're doing that out of love for each other out of caring for the least of these um, and love is an important part of community building it is and it's really the foundation of what we're about as a community i mean we say that we're excuse me a community that values love that we act loving towards each other um, in a lot of ways i think um one of the things that congregations are really good at, at their best, is that we're kind of like a little laboratory where we get to experience being loving and kind to people we're not related to. Um, and if we can do it in a congregation, then that gives us the, um, you know, the practice and the encouragement to do that, you know, in the wider world uh, with people we know even less. Um, so, you know, it's not perfect, but um, it's something we get to practice a little bit week by week. Well, I suppose that could be our closing call is to go out and practice love. I was going to yes. say go out and experiment with love, but practice sounds a little bit better. Yeah, I, I endorse that. Well, Mark, thanks so much for sitting down with me today. My pleasure. And thanks as always to all of our listeners. Mm -hmm.